Hello and welcome to Wonder Growing, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. I'm Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss. And this week we're talking about xeriscaping. <laughs> So this week we have on the podcast two amazing women. We have Leah Turner, the founder of Delta Dawn Sustainable Gardens here in Austin, Texas. She's also the creator of Hot House Podcast and a co-creator of the Horticulturati Podcast. And we also have Colleen Dieter on. She is the creator and brains and brawn and everything behind Red Wheelbarrow Plants and the founder of, or and a founder of Central Texas Seed Savers, as well as the second half of the Horticulturati Podcast. Welcome, y'all. Welcome. Thank you for being Thanks. here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Was there anything that I missed in, in y'all's intro? I know you'll have many accolades to your names. No. I mean... I think you got it. Generally awesome people. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Those are the only kind of people we ever have on the podcast. So there you go. Okay, good. <laughs> we're, in good we're in good company then. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I know I mentioned that both of y'all have um, two different gardening companies, but I was wondering if you guys could give a little background about the work you do and how you got there. Ooh. Colleen, yeah. you start. Oh, okay. All right. I was going <laughs> to tell you to go first, but I'll go first. Um, I help my customers by alleviating their anxieties about their yards. Um, so primarily I help homeowners who are do-it-yourselfers who, you know, want to garden and, and want to landscape their properties, but they just don't know where to start. And um, they just have a lot of worries and trouble. And so I can come in and give people advice about what to do. And um, how I got into it was through 20 years of experience as a personal gardener in Austin. So before I had my consulting business, I had uh, a set group of customers who all had really complicated yards. And I uh, took care of their yards, basically, and learned all about plants in Central Texas that way. Um along with a short stint working at Natural Gardener. And I studied horticulture as my minor in college at The Ohio State University. And I was a philosophy major. That's my story. I'll go. Um, I'm a landscape. I'm Leah speaking here. I'm a landscape designer and gardener. And like Colleen, I have a my background is kind of in the maintenance side of things. And so I was doing um, kind of that sort of same personal gardening maintenance for people, um, for a long time. And I still do that, but now I also do design and consulting and it's kind of like, I'm very hands-on from like, uh, the point of conceiving of ideas to putting them in, to trying to maintain them over time. Um, I like, I'm kind of a control freak in that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. And I am also teaching, planting design at ACC starting on October 12th. And um, that's that's what I do. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Very nice. I got to ask, is the Ohio State University the only university in Ohio State or the only university called Ohio State? 
Or is the just part of the name? Uh, the the is just part of the name. It's like a branding thing. Got it. Okay. It's silly. When I say it, I'm saying it partly with pride, but also partly <laughs> sarcastically. Sure. Very good. Very good. It's a, it's like it's like talking heads. Like when you talk about the band talking heads, you don't call them the talking heads. Um, yes. Yeah. Or sustainable food center. Right. <laughs> is it the sustainable food center or is it just sustainable food center yeah a lot of people think there's a the but there is an, in fact no the yeah but with ohio state there is a the <laughs> i did not know that yeah yeah it started like around the time when i started in school there they they did that branding thing it's just a silly thing so you two both have immense experience and like you guys are both so now knowledgeable um, and you guys highlight that beautifully in Horticulturati, your podcast. But I specifically asked you guys here to talk about xeriscaping because one, it's like something we've gotten a lot of questions about from our listeners and I know a bit about it, but I was pretty sure you two would have a lot to add. Oh, great. Um, and two, it's also, it's like a big buzzword here in Texas. It's something that a lot of people talk about, but I think that the idea of what it actually is, is very incorrect. So I was wondering if you guys could like give a little definition about xeriscaping. Mm, that's a good question. Well, I'll, I'll hazard a... Go. Or do you want to go, Colleen? No, you go. Okay, so xeriscaping is a an approach to landscape design that um, I believe originated in the 80s um, in Colorado, in Denver. And I think it was like the Denver Watershed Protection Department came up with it and trademarked it. Um, Might need to fact check that, but it was definitely out of Denver. And it was a uh, trademarked term just to refer to designing landscapes in a way that that they are very... uh, require very little water and very little supplemental irrigation and where, you know, there's seven, I think there's seven principles and they include things like using mulch, um, using plants that are well adapted to the landscape. Um, Colleen, do you remember any of the other xeriscape principles? I think one of them is like keeping plants that do need more water up closer to the house and grouping them together. Um, so that the higher water use plants are up near the house. I'm trying to remember what some of the other ones are, but yeah, it was really laid out. I mean, the, the spirit is that it, it really was a concept that was laid out in a really specific way with these seven principles. Um, and now has like evolved over time to, kind of means something different as a buzzword, like you were saying. So I guess from y'all's perspective as designers and gardeners, what is the perspective now of xeriscaping? Like what, what, do you, what do you guys hear people referring to when they talk about xeriscaping? Well, Colleen, well, do you want to go first, Colleen? And then I'll, and then I'll tell my sure. part. Well, yeah, the, the term that is being used instead, so xeriscaping is... X-E-R-I, like Zira, and that refers to a dry environment. But now, um, 
people hear that and they think it means zero scaping, like the number zero, um, where it involves like removing a lot of plant material from the landscape and then just putting rocks or gravel on top of the soil and then calling it done. So people will often call me and say, you know, I'm interested in zero scaping. So it's just kind of gotten, excuse the pun, it's been water, it's gotten watered down over time. <laughs> Very good. Very good. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of lost a lot of its meaning and um, has been sort of like, co- I guess, not purposely co-opted, but sort of transformed into a concept that is has been kind of divorced from its original intention, I think, of um, creating rich landscapes that use less water than a conventional landscape that has a lot of turf grass in it and plants that demand a lot of water use. I had a chance to look up the seven principles and they're really quick, so I'll just throw them out there. They're planning planning and design, soil improvement, practical turf area, so like not having the entire yard be St. Augustine lawn if you don't need that much that, you know, turf grass you would have to irrigate. Um, efficient irrigation, mulch, use of uh, low water use plants, and appropriate maintenance. And so never anywhere in that definition is take all the plants out and cover everything with rocks. That is no nowhere in there. So, um, and that's kind of what, as a buzzword, Xeriscape has come to mean is, unfortunately, is that idea that just put rocks everywhere and gravel. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah. So you, you mentioned problems and you say, unfortunately, can you talk a little bit about the issues with this like rockscaping and like the crushed granite with cactuses look of a, of a landscape? Yeah. Um, so there's a few things and I'll let Colleen chime in too. At, you know, first of all, there's two really big problems. One is that gravel reflects light and heat and raises the ambient temperature, whereas plants and mulch absorb light and heat and they lower the ambient temperature, especially if we're talking about like trees. So it's a, it's a, there's a heat island effect when you lose, use lots of rocks and that can be very you know, un- uncomfortable during the summer and raise your energy bills and um, be really hard on the plants and trees that you do have. And then the other the other issue is that like, because we're not actually in the desert, and we get what 34 inches of rain a year, and then most of those rain events happen like, in, you know, a, a few big storms throughout the year. Um, things are just going to get super weedy, because we live in real, we don't live in a desert where we can just cover everything with rocks and have a kind of a southwestern landscape doesn't quite work where we are because we just get a little too much rain and then plants really want to grow anywhere where there's a sunny spot. So I've seen lot you know people put like trash bags or whatever all over their lawn to sort of kill the grass to put something new. But I get and usually they follow it with, you know, covering it with rocks and and maybe some succulents, but even giving it that treatment, you know, after some time, some weeds are going to sprout up? Yes, for sure. Because as long as the wind blows and birds fly, <laughs> there's going to be weeds because there's just <laughs> seeds everywhere. Got it. And in fact, like, especially with decomposed granite, that grit 
the grittiness of like decomposed granite, which is like a really, it's almost like sand. That grittiness of that texture catches more seeds and that material holds water for quite a while too. And so it's really a nice place for little tiny plants to start their lives. Um, so it becomes really weedy over time. At first, it seems fantastic, but um, it doesn't take more. Like usually after a year or two, um, it becomes really weedy and can be really high maintenance. And it's counterintuitive because you would think it would be really low maintenance. But um, as Leah and I have both found as professional gardeners, um, those yards, when we're caring for those types of yards, they tend to be the highest maintenance yards. Oh, boy. Because mm-hmm. it's not very fun to weed gravel. <laughs> it hurts your fingers and it's hot. I mean, also, you know, another problem with putting the, the doing that solarizing thing where you put the plastic down is that, you know, one of the principles of Xeroscape is soil improvement. And if you are basically zapping the landscape um, with with the sun and the plastic, you're actually really going to degrade the quality of your soil because you're going to kill not just the grass, but also all the micro microorganisms and the soil biology that you have in the soil. And it's going to become a real sterile soil. And that can also make it hard for for plants to to do well, as I'm sure you guys talk about a lot on when to grow on. Yeah. And not to mention if there are any trees growing nearby, you can also damage the tree roots by um, heating up the soil too, to try to kill other plants. Um, you can inadvertently damage tree roots too. And that's the thing in Austin, we have we're so fortunate to have such beautiful tree cover in this city. And it's very rare that you find a property that doesn't have any trees on it. And surrounding trees with gravel can be really can have a negative impact on their lives as well. And, and, you know, and if you, I mean, I, and I think Colleen and I would both agree that one, even though it sounds kind of counterintuitive, one way to really, um, if you want to keep weeds down, plant more trees because you want to shade those weeds out. Um, and then also if, if you do have a bunch of grass that is growing in the shade or something that you want to get rid of, you can actually do a similar thing. You can smother it by sheet mulching. So that would be using um, just a ton of organic material, cardboard, compost, and mulch just piled up lasagna style on top of the soil. And that will actually help do that same thing that the solarizing is doing, but it'll do it a little more gently and it'll, um, it'll not harm the, the soil biology, but that's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to, to do that. It's just a little bit more intensive. So how terrible is my St. Augustine? Your, your St. Augustine is, it's not so terrible. Oh. You don't have yeah. to feel bad about having some, some, some grass. I, I think there's a, per, there's a place for it, you know? Excellent. For sure. And I mean, like Leah was saying when she was reading off the xeriscaping principles, you could have turf grass where it makes sense. So if you have established St. Augustine grass that's in 
a dappled shade situation, which is where St. Augustine grass likes to be. And, you know, you're caring for the soil underneath it. So that which is another one of the principles, you're caring for the soil underneath it so that the soil is spongy and will hold water for longer. And you're caring for the turf grass using organic methods and um, mowing correctly, like mowing with the mower blade on the highest setting possible and leaving the clippings on the grass. Um, if you're doing all of that, then it's it's not the worst. Um, it's It just depends on what your perspective is. And if it's providing a service for you, then, um, then I think it's fine. (laughs) And sometimes you want a little bit of lawn to be like some kind of nice negative space of, of green, you know, and I think there's a place for that. Yeah. It just, there might be tiny little spots in my, in in what I would design. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And like at my house, you know, I'm a plant collector. I have tons and tons of plants and the grass doesn't really serve a purpose for me. But if I had dogs or children or I I didn't collect plants, then um, I would have kept some of the St. Augustine grass that I had in my yard that was in a, it was really well established and in the right light and actually didn't need that much water. Um, but if you're trying to grow St. Augustine grass, um, where there's full hot sun and you have to water it all the time, then that's a problem. And I think that's the spirit of xeriscaping. I think that's when they developed this in Denver. I think that's what they were after was just getting people to be like cognizant of how much water they're using on their landscapes, you know, and to put a little bit of thoughtfulness into it. So that's kind of what I I really wanted to dig into on this episode. We did an episode in the past on turf grass and, you know, we talked about the water needs, but I would love to hear y'all's perspective. Like, say you get a client who calls you and says, I want a zero scape because I want, you know, no water and I'm just going to do cactuses. I don't want any of those stinking flowers that I have to prune and fertilize and all that stuff. You know, what, what would your response to them be? I would educate them. Um, sometimes that's all that people need. And that's why, you know, that's why as a consultant, you know, people call me because they want ideas and they want to be educated. And so sometimes people think that that's what they want. But when I come to them and I say, okay, listen, in my experience, those landscapes are the highest maintenance. And here's the alternative. You could have some relatively low maintenance plants that only need to be trimmed like once a year that will attract butterflies and other wildlife. And we can design it in a way that we can um, handle any like erosion problems that you're having or something like that. So I kind of make sure that they understand that what they think they need is not what they actually need. Because people will usually say, I want a landscape that is really low maintenance. So 
I'd like to just install rocks over the whole thing. And then I'll say, well, there's this misconception that we're talking about right now, you know, and then people are like, oh, okay. And then I'll show them photos of other landscapes and tell them what kind of care they require, you know, and I have a kind of a stable of plants for customers who just really don't want to do any maintenance at all, who maybe are retired and travel a lot, and that are plants that are like evergreen and need very little care. (laughs) And that's that I'll, I'll do for those particular customers, which is actually kind of a rare situation. Like for most, most of my customers are interested in gardening and don't mind doing some trimming and transplanting and stuff like that. So it just depends on the situation. But I try to, I try to couch it in terms of what I try to really listen to people and hear what they really want and then educate them about the best way to go about getting what they want. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm definitely one of those no maintenance people, if I can help. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I actually had someone that I talked to on the phone today say that she wanted to zero escape part of the yard and like her neighbors had done. And I just kind of like like when that comes up, I usually, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's 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 look at it. Let's talk about it. And I I try to use the term water wise, which is like a term that I borrow from the Austin Watershed Department, Watershed, sorry, Austin Watershed Protection Department that they use a lot. And I like that term because it's not always appropriate to use xeric plants. Like you might need plants that can tolerate periodically wet conditions, like maybe plant something by a downspout um, or in a low spot in your yard. And also just like the, the term xeric, like in in terms of like ecology, it refers to like an upland um, location, like a higher elevation um, where where the most of the water runs downhill. You know, so that's that's why it's so low water because it's 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 up high, and then then you have the mesic zone, which is kind of in the middle, and then you have the hydric zone, which is low down in the valleys where the water congregates or whatever. So it's like it's you got to think about um, not every situation is correct for a cacti and succulents you know there's certain certain places that they're just going to be it's going to be much more appropriate and effective to use plants that do can can handle a little more wet conditions yeah welcome to the break welcome to the break dad did you know that on our patreon we have outtakes and extra research we do have outtakes that are frequently hilarious I've heard your sister laugh at them on more than one occasion. <laughs> Very often hysterical and hilarious. And extra research. Yes, we have extra research from the episodes as well as other miscellaneous cool articles or additional reading. I try to put tons of really cool information into the Patreon. And so if anybody is interested in learning more about the topics that we're talking about on the show, if anyone is interested in laughing out loud, who isn't in these times? Am I right? You are right. Uh, you can you can find uh, all that info on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. You can join our wonderful patrons, especially our Starfruit patrons. Lindsay, Vikram, Mama Casey, Patrick, and Cheyenne. And Cheyenne. And Cheyenne. We are so, so grateful for all of you. You 
do so many wonderful things to our hearts and brains when we think about how much we love you. Sorry, that turned a little bit weird there at the end, but we are very grateful for you. You make our world spin and you make this podcast happen. And we hope that you are having a wonderful day wherever you are. Shall we get back to the episode? Back to the episode. Can you tell me more about water wise gardening? What, what do gardeners need to think about and y'all as professional gardeners need to think about when you're thinking about water-wise gardening? When I think of water-wise gardening, I just think of like really matching a plant to its site conditions carefully. And like one of the best resources for that, like for figuring out kind of what goes where is the grow green guide that the city puts out and it's um, free and you can get it at any nurseries and a lot of different like hardware stores and places. And it's a little booklet that the watershed protect watershed protection department puts out and has like a list of all these native and adapted landscape plants and has their water requirements and pictures of everything. And it's just such a cool resource. And so I think that is, um, starting to think about um, what are my, what plant would work here? You know, what's the right plant for this spot is kind of what, part of what I think of when I think of, of water-wise gardening. And maybe putting, yeah, like Colleen said, maybe putting some of the the wetter plants near the house. Did you say that, Colleen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Near the house and yeah, around the downspouts. Like you said, that's a great tip, you know? Putting plants that require more water up near the house. If you have gutters, then you could plant those plants near downspouts. And then if you don't have gutters, then there's, you're going to get more rain off of the roof. So just having a higher plants that prefer a little bit more water up closer to the house. And by the way, you can download a digital version of the City of Austin's uh, Grow Green Guide like from their website, too from the Grow Green website. Um, Something else that I always think about too with water-wise landscaping is again, like building the soil. Mm. It's really Mm -hmm. important to me. And Leo was talking about sheet mulching, you know, as a way to eliminate um, existing grass or plants that are not desirable in a particular landscape. And um, sheet mulching is a really great way to build soil as well. And building soil is important in xeriscaping, like I said earlier, because you want the soil to be alive with microorganisms. And that soil that's alive and healthy will act like a sponge and will hold water for the plants to be able to use in the long term instead of a, as opposed to a degraded soil. Um, degraded soils are going to be really hard. And um, a lot of the water, when it rains, the water will run off of a degraded soil and uh, it won't be able to soak in as deeply. Mm-hmm. So um, sheet mulching is a really good way to like, build more life into the soil um, and create a, a, a soil that's going to be spongy and healthy for to support the plants. And we'll also reduce runoff uh, during storms and prevent flash flooding. I think if Hallie had a battle cry, it would be soil health. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I do really like that word spongy, though, because I feel like talking about soil health is still something that's kind of harder to get across if you're talking to newer gardeners, because it can be kind of abstract. Um, And I think that word spongy is so helpful. Definitely. You have to have metaphor because a lot of people have never even really had the experience of trying to dig a hole Mm -hmm. before and like understanding what it could be like, you know, um, and understanding what their soil is like in their particular situation, you know, so you kind of have to use metaphor to make that real for people. And we're not and we're also not like, we're not like, saying that rocks need to be banned and um, outlawed either. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, it's for like, sure. there's def- just like there's a place for turf. There's also a place for rocks, you know, and one of my favorite things to design is like dry creeks for helping stormwater, stormwater runoff and stuff like that, kind of controlling the water in the landscape and doing it in a way that's pretty better, you know, more, more visually appealing than just like putting in a French drain or some kind of elaborate underground system, making a dry Creek bed. And those are really, really fun to design and they involve a lot of rocks. Um, but you can also incorporate plants into those. And, um, so that, yeah, we're not, we're not like against, I don't think calling an or I or, or anti-rocks and we both enjoy using rocks and boulders in the designs. No, for sure. And Chris, you know, you were saying that you really want to have a super low maintenance landscape. And I often include boulders in my designs for folks who are in that situation, because the boulders can be can add a lot of interest um, and can be really fun to look at because they attract like a lot of lizards and stuff like that. And they don't require any care or watering. (laughs) But I don't want the entire landscape to be just boulders. Um, That would be really expensive and really hot and really weird. Really weird. (laughs) (laughs) But a boulder like here or there, it can be really, really cool. I love boulders. I just wish they weren't quite so heavy. But um... Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, when I was a teenager... um, I was in Colorado with my mom and my cousin, and we were driving around, and every once in a while she would see a rock that she really liked, and she would have me or my cousin get out of the car and pick up the rock (laughs) and put it in the car, and before long, we had a suitcase full of rocks that she really liked, and I'm pretty sure they're still, you know, in her garden somewhere, but we went went through airport security, we put it on the conveyor belt, and the lady at the x-ray machine probably gave her the exact look that you're imagining right now and said, ma'am, are those rocks? <laughs> I get it. I understand that. I mean, just sometimes yes. you just see a rock and you're like, wow, that rock is nice. I definitely, you're, yeah, your mom and I are share that interest because I definitely have gone through airport security with rocks in oh, my yeah. bags all the, like more than <laughs> once. Yeah. I've got pictures of rocks in my camera roll on my phone. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. One time I tried to, to I saw a rock in Costa Rica uh, where I was on vacation. And I saw one. I was like, oh, my grandmother would love that rock. So I tried to bring it back and airport security actually confiscated it because Aww. they said it was a blunt object that I could use to bash someone's head in on the plane. Oh, no. Aww. Which I felt could be said for a lot of contents of suitcases. Seriously. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> See the shoe? That's a blunt object. It's imaginative. Oh, I'm curious. Did you guys learn this stuff in school? How did you get educated on what xeriscaping is not and kind of water-wise gardening? We both, well, we both worked at the natural gardener for a time. Um, and that was, I didn't go to school for horticulture or anything. I studied art history, um, but I learned a lot of stuff through, um, yeah, doing some nursery work at the, at the natural gardener, um, just doing garden maintenance, um, and, um, going to like the grow green program that the city of Austin puts out. They do like every year, a couple day, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of seminar that, teaches like sustainable landscaping and just taking classes here and there, but I don't have any like formal training in in this stuff. Yeah. My background is the same as Leah's and how I picked up this stuff along the way, you know, and um, just through that experience of firsthand caring for these properties, um, you know, as a personal gardener, when I have, you know, one day I would be at, a house full of with a a garden that a a master gardener put together. I had I had some customers who were master gardeners, for example, and they loved gardening, but they, you know, hurt their back or something like that and couldn't mm-hmm. care for the garden, so they would hire me to like take care of it while they were like recovering and stuff like that. And those yards are just so fun and rich to be in and um, just gave so much back to me as a gardener, but more, you know, even more to the homeowners have seeing blooms and the, the animals that would visit and um, the changing of the seasons, these little subtle differences that you could enjoy um, throughout the years. And, uh, and then the next day go to, uh, a yard with a much more a professionally designed yard, by the way, a professionally designed and installed yard that was full of gravel, the whole thing's gravel and just a few plants here and there. And, it was hot and miserable and I would work for hours and hours and just feel like I didn't even make a dent in how much work there was to do in that yard. And it just got me thinking like, is this really what we should be doing? Is this really saving water? And I noticed too, that even those yards, sometimes they were so poorly designed that they would end up using just as much water as the master gardener's yard that was providing so much joy, you know, and uh, so many like ecosystem services too. Um, So it just got me, I just wanted to learn more about kind of what the right thing to do was like, how, how would you, how do you create a yard that gives back to the homeowners? And how do you create a yard that doesn't require as many inputs and then and pays off 
And so that's why I, you know, that's why I started trying to talk to, um, one way that I've learned a lot about is just by talking to other gardeners and other landscapers, um, especially like people who volunteer at the wildflower center or people who work at the Lady Bird Johnson wildflower center. I learned a lot from just conversations like that. Like, Hey, are you having this experience with, you know, decomposed granite that you had to weed it all the time and stuff and people being (laughs) like, yeah, yes. You know, and then, And then just doing my own research, too, in addition to taking, like, the Grow Green classes and classes at the Wildflower Center and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, just that accumulation of knowledge of just talking with other gardeners and people who work at nurseries and stuff like that is how I learned about water-wise concepts and um um yeah I was just gonna say that's that's how I met Colleen as she was teaching a class on perennial maintenance at the natural gardener and I was working at the natural gardener at the time and they let me sit in on her class and after the class I went up and asked her some questions about weeding gravel probably and uh (laughs) I really think I was asking her about like how do you how do you get nutgrass out of art you know and do you how do you do that and you know that kind of led us to to become friends and so that's kind of that's yeah. that's that's a big way of, of just being friends with gar- making friends with gardeners and spending a lot of time geeking out about gardening things yeah especially around here where the climate is so different from so many other parts of the world uh, mm-hmm. it's so unique here that there's not a lot written about gardening here So you really have to like ask other people because you can't, there's very few books that you can pick up that will tell you like how to land, how to do any kind of gardening in central Texas. There's some really good ones, but for the most part, you end up still having to like collect information from other gardeners and be friends, you know. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that Colleen, your description of like different types of gardens and as like this one garden that's just so joyful is so evocative. I'm curious, this is my last question that I had. Is there anything that y'all are seeing changing or any like new things on the horizon for y'all's industries, for y'all's sector? I mean, for one thing, I will say that um, people are spending more time at home because of COVID and they're thinking about their, they're thinking about their landscapes a lot. Um, so I don't know. I feel like gardening is kind of on the rise as far as like things on the horizon. I don't know. What I'm hoping is that people will start to understand more about how regenerative the landscape can be. And that some of like the, what's going on right now with organic farming and people, um, who are practicing regenerative farming to try to combat climate change by sequestering carbon in plants and in the soil. I hope that those ideas and concepts could get carried over to the landscape too, because I think tree, you know, because trees are so incredible at sequestering carbon, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere to combat climate change so right now like tree planting is a super hot thing um and it should have been hot all the time (laughs) i hope it's not just a trend (laughs) like we should all be planting trees all the time um because they are for me so so what i'm trying to say is like tree planting 
I think is like everyone's excited about tree planting right now because of climate change and trees are one of those things where you do so little like it it requires so little effort to plant a tree and depending on what tree you choose like you could plant an a live oak tree in central texas and it could it could live for a thousand years sequestering carbon you know mitigating stormwater runoff um providing shade, cooling the atmosphere around it, providing habitat for animals, providing food to us as humans. I mean, there's so many things that trees do for us and they re- they ask for so little in return. So to me, like that's the thing I'm most excited about is the tree planting and like the concept of like regenerative landscaping where trees are going to be helping to combat climate change and that individual people on their own properties just by planting trees can help um, fight climate change. Colleen, can I, can I piggyback on what you just said? Just yeah. So I was just going to add that in addition to planting trees, also just thinking about, about wildlife habitat. And I think that's because of, because of climate change. I think that's another thing that people have started to think about. And that's very, important to me as well. I mean, definitely planting trees and also, you know, just having having places for pollinators and birds to be and all kinds of little critters that you can connect with because I think having those connections with plants and animals and insects and stuff does give you more of a feeling of connectivity toward nature and that is going to make you someone who is hopefully more active um, in regards to fighting climate change. So yeah, for sure. My God, almost every day, like every new customer who calls me tells me that they want to support bees because they've heard about the decline in honeybee population, or they want to support butterflies because they've heard about the decline in the monarch butterfly population, or, you know, they're just really interested in birding because they just want to see something cool out the window, you know? And um, yeah, so that's like really been big lately, like even more. That was always something that my customers told me. But like lately, it seems like everybody's calling who's calling is asking for that. Yes, I love that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Plant all the trees and attract all the birds and pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. Love a bee. Bees and trees. Yeah. Absolutely. And trees. Yeah. Well, y'all, it was absolutely phenomenal to have you both on. Is there anything that y'all would like to plug or any places that people can find you if they want to know more about your work? Sure. I'll plug our podcast, The Horticulturati. It is kind of biweekly, and we have a website that is horticulturati.com. Let me try to spell that. It's H O R T. I-C-U-L-T-U-R-A-T-I dot com. Did I get that? I think so. It's like the Illuminati or the Glitterati. Yeah. But it's about plants. So it's just horticulture with an I at the end without the E. That's right. (laughs) Link in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Since we know everyone who's listening to the podcast right now has a pen and paper ready to write it down. Yeah, yeah, they've got their their pen. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, mostly I'm hoping that we'll just get, you know, some of your listeners will check out our podcast too. That's the main 
thing that I'd like to plug. Yeah. Yeah, definitely go check out the Horticulturati. It is wonderful. Um, yeah, thank Thanks. you guys both so much for being on. It was so wonderful. And Hallie's been on the Horticulturati, by the way. I'm just going to say that too, if you want to hear an yes. episode where we talked about soil with Hallie. Yes, true. it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for being here. Yay. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or join our Discord and Facebook communities and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts, as well as information about the team and the show, on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends, or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There, you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing.